welcome to Sequelize It, a movie rewatch podcast where we chronicle the triumphs and dissect the disasters of Hollywood, one movie franchise at a time. Look in my eyes and what do you see? It's tears of happiness because I'm not watching The Hobbit, I'm watching Batman in 1989. Dancing with the devil in the pale moonlight, I'm KC and joining me is... I'm Batman. Or backlash. For, for, for. Yeah. Chris? What? <laughs> Hello? Oh, yeah, no crystallized sequelize. It's Mastodon of the Monotone and alternate, alternatively sequelize. It's Pollyanna of the popular pictures. <sighs> Did I, I just think you derailed did. the entire show in the first minute? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you derailed it, but, but that threw me off guard, that's for sure. I don't <laughs> And oh, baby, is it nice to have a nice, easy movie to watch? Flaws and all. Or, not that flaws, but whatever. We're all geared up to talk about everyone's favorite brooding cape crusader and his blockbuster cinematic debut. But first, this shameless plugs. Do us an old favor by following us on Twitter at SequelizeIt, drop us an email at SequelizeIt at gmail.com, and if you like what we're doing, please tell a friend and keep on circulating the podcast. Chris and Backlash, how did you get on with Batman 1989? Ooh, this is, this is a breezy watch, I'll tell you that. Uh... I actually watched this movie uh, at least two times during this. I think I started watching it at one point, then I shut it off, and then I just watched it twice. Because why not? It's Batman. It's wonderful. It's it's a fun movie to watch. I had seen this movie before, and I'll get to the the sort of images that I most associated with that uh, scarred me for a while, because I watched it when I was quite young. But this time around... As Backlash said, it was as breezy as heck. I got to appreciate every bit of the craft, the how functional and snappy the dialogue is, uh, the right choice for um, for all the characters cast, and also what I like to consider writing that's both uh, show and tell, which I've I've said before. Like it's stuff that has a lot of expository dialogue, but there's also a lot of characterization and such told visually. Yeah. This was just, it had been a while since I saw Batman 1989, so I guess I was a little bit scared that it wasn't going to be as good as I remember, and it was just nice to come back to a movie that was an easy watch, easy to understand, with great acting, great characterization, and just, just a good, good old-fashioned movie. It's just, I mean, I think there, I, I would argue there are some flaws that are uh, I guess the more cynical version of me has noticed with age but they're by no means are those like movie breaking and like completely take me out of the film it's just it's basically it's basically nitpicks at that point yeah it's it's more so that like there's some Silliness that I I really want to equate to Tim Burton's silliness because his uh, every movie he does has 
a certain style to it, and it's very distracting. And it's not so much in this movie. It'll be very present in the next movie we talk about. But, uh, yeah, the, the, it's it's mostly that for me. For me, the, the, the flaws are, in nature, if you're a comic book fan, which I'm not, um, but they're, they're ones that have been discussed to death in terms of the, the relationship between this version of Batman and, and the one that a lot of people, a lot of fans like to agree and hold up uh, from, from the comics. And also certain things that are, that are a bit dated. But I mean, that's, that's the type of thing that you expect. Like with the aesthetic that Burton was going for, with the with the time period it was set in, um, with the the fact that the producer is a is a weirdo <laughs> pervert. <laughs> you you know as a Kevin Smith fan. Yeah. We'll we'll but we'll get I, into I, that. I feel like that reflects less on the movie than that I made it out to be just a second ago. Yeah, we'll get into that as we get into trivia. But yeah, I think even some of the like comic the the, the issues that comic book fans have with the movie, I don't really care. It's like yeah. as long as you get the the gist of the character right, then it doesn't really some of it doesn't matter. I think it'll I think we might have to discuss if he did get the gist of the character right, because there is one big sticking point for me in this movie. There, like, not as a comic book fan, but just knowing what Batman is about, there's a kind of a big problem in yeah, this movie. And, like I said, there's some minor things, but there's nothing in the universe of this movie. I feel like, for the most part, <coughs> those issues that I have are kind of explained in this particular continuity and this particular universe. So I'm, you know, more willing to forgive it than I would for like stuff like something like Man of Steel, which I feel is like completely and utterly antithetical to what Superman is and how he should be. This is still, this is pretty close to what I think Bruce Wayne slash Batman should be. It just has a couple more quirks. Whereas that, whereas Man of Steel just is like, eventually we'll get to Man of Steel and I'll, I'll talk about mm. all the problems that I have with that movie. Mm-hmm. But. That's going to be a sad time talking about the DCEU. But at any rate, with that out of the way, and now we can do trivia again, because it's not about The Hobbit. It's the late 1970s. Batman's popularity is on the wane, the last memory of him being the Adam West version, which probably isn't as bad as you think. CBS wants to make... (laughs) Of course not. I love the Adam West Batman. It's just a completely different beast than what Batman became. CBS, who owned the rights at the time, wants to make a Batman in Outer Space movie. Because of course they do. Thankfully, producers Benjamin Melnicker and Michael 
Uslan purchased the film rights to the franchise in October of 1979, wanting to bring Batman back to his darker roots as Bob Kane and Bill Finger, aka the actual guy who created Batman, who basically got bullied out of the spotlight by Bob Kane, until Bill Finger's granddaughter forced Warner Brothers to actually acknowledge her grandfather's contributions on every movie featuring Batman going forward had originally intended. For for more information on that, uh, you can just look at, I think it's on Hulu, the documentary Batman and Bill, which goes over just how, how Bob Kane, you know, many people credit Bob Kane as the creator of Batman, but there was actually a second creator, which is Bill Finger, who notably created everything iconic about Batman that you know and love. So, yeah. I I can't recommend that documentary enough. It is really, really good and really interesting. And I, I don't have a favorable opinion of Bob Kane at this point. Because he kind of just left out his friend to... Hung his friend out to dry. <sighs> at any rate, Melnicker and Uslan would go on to executive produce every single Batman project going forward, including all the theatrical movies, Batman the Animated Series, and basically every animated Batman direct-to-DVD release. Hollywood Studios initially bonked at the idea of a Batman that didn't match the camp style of the 1960s series. In November of 1979, Peter Gruber producer of classic films such as Rain Man, Flashdance, and The Color Purple, and John Peters, a.k.a. the guy who wanted Superman to face a giant space spider in the Nicolas Cage Superman movie that never got made, joined on to the project. <laughs> they, the aforementioned. Can I just say, John Peters has produced so many classic movies, yet everyone still gives him shit about the giant spider. Well, I mean, there are other reasons to, to give him shit. Yeah, he is a creepy weirdo. <laughs> I know! I know, but still, it always goes back to the fucking spider. It, it's, I think it's mainly because he is a creepy weirdo now, and that's that much is known. So there's, but also because we've proven that the the giant spider was a bad idea. Ye- like he got to realize it, and surprise, surprise, it was hackneyed and and the butt of every joke. Yeah, I don't remember Wild Wild West too much. I need to rewatch that, see if it's enjoyable on any level. I think I remember too much of yeah, it. Yeah, I remember too much of it. It's. I don't remember any of it, other than the theme song. So you remember the good part, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> they pitched the darker version to Universal, but Universal didn't want to do it. Nevertheless, they forged forward, announcing the project at New York Comic Con in 1980. At that time, Warner Brothers, who already owned DC, so why weren't they going to make the movie? Whatever. Uh, They had just originally put the original Superman movie on the big screen, too much uh, financial success and critical acclaim, and decided to produce the new Batman movie in-house. The original unfilmed script was written by Tom Mankiewicz, who had more or less saved the original scripts uh, for both Superman and Superman 2. Ivan Reitman, director of Ghostbusters and Kindergarten Cop, was briefly considered to direct, 
One assumes those planes went up in smoke when Reitman wanted to cast Bill Murray as Batman and Eddie Murphy as Robin. Oof. Oh, that wouldn't have worked at all. No. Uh, Following the success of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Warner Brothers approached Tim Burton to direct the movie. Filling the script by Mankiewicz was too campy, he taxed then-girlfriend... I just lost it again. Julie Hickson... Uh, to write a new 30-page treatment. Actually, it ended up being 43 pages. Burton was famously not a comic book fan, but luckily Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns and Alan Moore's The Killing Joke had both come out in the 1980s, reaffirming Batman's status as a brooding badass and reigniting Warner Brothers' interest in the product. Ugh. Burton then tasked Sam Hamm, whose only other notable writing credit is the movie Monkey Bone, to write the screen... To write the screen... I've seen that movie, and I wish I hadn't. Yeah. That movie is deliberately and traumatizing. Yeah, not a... Not... Not... I wouldn't have guessed the person who wrote the original script for this movie had written Monkey Bone, but... Yeah, Brendan Fraser did no wrong, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the The primary reason why Tim Burton wanted Sam Hamm to write the script was because, well, Hamm was actually a comic book fan who liked Batman. Naturally, casting for the titular Dark Knight contained a who's who of Hollywood acting talent, including Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, our old friend Harrison Ford, Tom Selleck, and Dennis Quaid. Warner Brothers pressured Burton to hire an action movie star, and so he approached Pierce Brosnan for the role, but he turned it down because he didn't want to play a comic book character. One can only assume that he found surfing on a rate surfing on a wave with a giant parachute in front of a green screen was more dignified. He'd rather play a what's essentially a comic book uh, character representing British imperialism. Basically. Uh, isn't there some? I, I, we probably should get into this, but isn't there? Wasn't there like a ton of controversy based around him becoming Bond at this time? Like he was supposed to before Dalton, but it didn't happen. I believe that was the case. Yeah, but yeah. I don't want to get in too into it now because I'm sure we'll do Bond one day. But yeah, yeah that Bond has its own numerous problems with production. Uh, this movie has more production problems than I thought. So. That's nice. Um, eventually, Burton settled on Michael Keaton, who he worked with on Beetlejuice. Comic book fans were less enthused with Keaton's casting, given that he had mostly been cast in comedy roles. In an effort to assuage fans, Bob Kane was given a creative consultant role, while Bill Finger, once again, was treated like crap and not given any credit at all. Bob Kane kind of sucks. <sighs> Several actors wanted to play the Joker, including Tim Curry, John Glover, and Robin Williams lobbied heavily to be the Joker. It was also rumored that a thin unknown Willem Dafoe was considered for the role, but Burton had actually wanted Dafoe to uh, be considered for Bruce Wayne, which, again, Willem Dafoe as Bruce Wayne is weird. <laughs> It's weird, but I want to see yeah, it. Yeah, kind of. 
Pop quiz, hotshot. Which actor that has been in one of the movies that we've reviewed was also initially considered for the Joker? Oh, uh, uh, um... Well, we've already said Harrison Ford. Do, do. It can be any of the movies that we've done. Do, do, uh, do, 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 oh, do, man. Do, 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 uh, I was just looking at this trivia. Uh, Anne Holm. The, my guess is Anne Holm. Nope. I'm sorry. It was not Anne Holm. Chris, what is your guess? <laughs> I was going to say John Reese davies <laughs> <laughs> no way. That's just what came to mind. Uh, so that's your guess? Yes. Nope, it was not John Reese davies Instead, it was our friend and pal Brad Dorif, who was considered to be the Joker <laughs> in Batman 1989. Which I... You know, much as I love Brad Dorif, um, I think that it would have been a far different movie. With his portrayal. Yeah, I'm going back and forth on whether that would have been awesome or whether it would have been too camp. Like it. I don't even know about camp. You you make like a straight up. Uh, you make Joker as a straight up horror villain if you cast Brad Dourif. Yeah, and they kind of wanted to make Joker somewhat endearing. Well, not endearing, but just like. So I... you didn't want to actively murder his character every single second he was on screen. You know, like some other actors would go on to. Send their... I, I was going to say this later, but I, I feel like they were trying to go for a very accurate portrayal of the Joker from the comic books. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, for, yeah, for the most part, and at the time. Because something, something studio intervention, aka John Peters. Warner Brothers had their hearts set on getting Jack Nicholson for the role in as early as 1980. Nicholson eventually agreed, providing that he received top billing, a cut of all Joker merchandising sales, that his part could be filmed in three weeks, and that he could be off for all Los Angeles Lakers home games. <sighs> Jack Nicholson is weird. <laughs> Uh, Sean Young of Blade Runner, Dune, and Boy has an Ace Ventura age poorly fame, was yeah. originally cast as Vicky Vale, but injured herself in a horse riding accident. Kim Basinger, who rose to prominence after being cast in the non-canon James Bond movie Never Say Never Again in Nine and a Half Weeks, was then cast on a suggestion from John Peters, which, again, like he... I will say all his ideas aren't bad, but he he he's just fucking he's just a fucking weirdo. He just is. I well here here's the thing. I know precisely where he met her, or at least I could suss it where he met her. Where? He dressed her hair. Oh yeah. Yep. <sighs> John Peters was a hairstylist. If you want to know more about John Peters, just type John Peters, Kevin Smith into YouTube. I'm I'm sure that whole thing will will pop up. <laughs> uh Michael Goh, who may I say was a damn sexy man in his early age, 
was cast as Al. I put Albert. Yes, he was cast as the professional wrestler Albert, aka Lord Tensai, where they put really offensive Asian makeup on him to make everyone think that he wasn't Albert, but he was. I meant to say Alfred. He he was cast as Alfred. Anyways, Billy Dee Williams was cast as Harvey Dent, as Burton thought an eventual movie with Two-Face would be me deeper with an African-American playing him, until someone decided Tom Lee Jones, who, swore the warning, basically didn't want the role, should do it instead. I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> the bat suit was partially crafted by costume designer Bob Ringwood, who found it difficult to make the suit look imposing, given that Keaton was more of an average build and height, and they had to make him look like a six foot five hulking brute. The bat suit was difficult to work with, particularly given that Keaton is claustrophobic, and we will see that the bat suits up until when we eventually do the Dark Knight are just like not they're not well thought out and well planned essentially yeah like like someone pointed out to me like the way batman moves in these movies he can't turn his head and ever since that was pointed out to me i can't stop noticing that whenever he turns he has to jerk his entire body yeah it's it's almost like it's like a a resident evil character model (laughs) from the first two games where they they have to move just their entire body and they can't like make any other gesture yeah keaton basically basically keaton came up with that on the spot because well you know he couldn't move his fucking neck which again we will get into the dark knight when we get into it but the fact that it took them until the dark knight to figure out to just make a helmet with a flexible neck is fucking baffling to me i mean it's such a thing that it that it made it into a line in that movie yeah it's just I I don't I don't I don't understand that part, but whatever. I I guess I guess they figured out one way to do it, and they never considered doing it another way until Christian Bale was like, "Hey, can I move my fucking head, please?" <sighs> and um, here's a random. Uh, wait, no. Before I get to that, uh, John Peters also wanted the bat suit to have Nikes because. <laughs> reasons <laughs> because sponsorship yeah yeah money dear boy yeah we'll get to the money in a, in a in a moment uh here's a random factoid the original batmobile was built on a chevy impala platform it was eventually bought by ventriloquist comedian and guy everyone realized was racist way too late jeff dunham who shoved a corvette engine in it to make it street legal <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah. (sighs) Jeff Dunham has the Batmobile, and apparently John Peters has the second Batmobile. So, and there are, I think there's one more Batmobile that kind of, like, tours and does the round. You know, as far as the original, actual Batmobiles go. In other, seriously, John Peters is a weirdo news. John Peters insisted that Prince do the Joker songs and wanted Michael Jackson to do the romance songs. Uh, At least Prince kind of made sense as he was signed to Warner Brothers' record label at the time. This left composer Danny 
been in a bit of a lurch, especially given that he was already nervous about working on such a large production for the first time. Tim Burton basically hated the idea of Prince doing the soundtrack, saying something along the lines of, I don't want my movie to turn into Top Gun. (sighs) You know, given that he was trying to make a dark and brooding film. Elfman would also have issues with the mixing of his score, though the iconic opening theme would go down as one of the best opening themes ever, and eventually a condensed and slightly faster version would go on to be the theme song for Batman the Animated Series. Filming took place from October 10th, 1988 to February 14th, 1989, with Burton calling the filming torture and the worst period of his life. Cheery! (sighs) Yeah, it's a wonder he decided to do a sequel. The script, I mean, there's there's a reason why Batman Returns is the way it is, and this is part of the reason. <laughs> um, the script was reworked during filming with the help of non-union writers in England where the movie was being filmed, given that the Writers Guild of America was on strike in 1988, with the changes kind of annoying Sam Han, though he blamed many of the changes on Warner Brothers a.k.a. John Peters, rather than Burton or the writers themselves. One big change made by John fucking Peters altered the climax of the movie. Instead of Joker killing Vicky Vale and sending Batman into a murderous rage, the movie has this kind of weird thing with Joker and Vale walking up an endless series of stairs because plot. Without telling... Yeah, without telling Tim Burton, you know, the director, Peters commissioned a 38-foot model of the cathedral, tagging on an additional $100,000 to the movie that was already over budget. Apparently, he decided to do this after he and Jack Nicholson had seen Phantom of the Opera on Broadway. In spite of this, Nicholson was still confused about why he and Vale were just going up an endless series of stairs, with Burton basically telling Nicholson that he really had no idea. The movie would have an opening weekend gross of $40.49 million, besting the previous weekend's... Besting the previous Memorial Day weekend opening of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. The film would go on to gross well over $400 million in its original theatrical run, and merchandise moved to the tune of $750 million, even bef- which uh, a huge chunk of which was before the movie even came out. But due to good old-fashioned Hollywood accounting... Warner Brothers somehow ended up losing almost $40 million on the project, with the movie unlikely to ever make back what it cost to make it, which was a relatively reasonable $48 million. The movie has a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes with an 84% audience score. Uh, 71? That's lower than I thought it would be. Yeah, most of... Most of the criticism seems to be around how dark the movie is, especially coming off because this was essentially the first big Batman production after the Adam West one, so that probably had a factor into it, 
but I guess it it just is what it is. Yeah, I would imagine like a lot of the older critics, unfamiliar with the the nature of the comic, but very familiar with the TV series, may have been put off and and uh, taken aback by by the tone of it. This happened to a lot of movies. Yeah, it it it's just one of those random things. Uh, of course, time has only helped you know this movie be looked at as a classic, but still, it's it's. <sighs> I think the critical reception to these movies is going to be an interesting an interesting thing to look at as we continue to look at all four of these movies because it's it it has a lot to do with the direction of the movies essentially. <sighs> and with the trivia out of the way, we can now continue with our feature presentation. obviously but i think we just i think we're going to reserve the 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 act summaries for movies that are like super hard like super duper hard yeah we weren't doing yeah. it during the hobbit oh that's cuz the hobbit cuz fucking this cuz cuz we just gave up yeah we didn't want to do the yeah. hobbit we didn't want to put the work into we didn't want to do hobbit anymore we just... Yeah, we realized far too late that we were not prepared to do the Hobbit. I think I think the first one set a pretty particular standard for that entire series because there is too much plot and a lot of it we didn't want to sift through to to condense. Yeah, uh, yeah, we could do plot summaries for this. Um, I don't know. Uh, if anyone wants to let us know what you prefer. Drop us a line at Sequelize It at Twitter or an email at, g- at Sequelize It at gmail.com. Uh, tell us which way that you prefer, and then we'll, we'll take it into consideration if we should go back to doing the, the, the act summaries as we did before. But I feel like this is this is a breezy enough movie where we can kind of just talk our way through it. Yeah. And as far as I can tell, I mean, the, fir- the first scene is establishes what you need to establish just just an example of of the type of batman that we're getting after probably the most shameless product placement (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah well what i like is how it 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 almost tricks you into thinking this is batman's origin story until it gets to that point where you realize no we're just jumping right into the middle of it yeah that was actually sam ham's doing uh sam han basically said that there was no reason to do batman's origin story because even at that point everyone knew what his origin story was which is kind of we are gonna see it in a flashback later guess who added that john peters yes well that was that was more of peters and tim burton uh sam ham was very, very, very much of the mindset that it was completely and utterly unnecessary, uh, and we will we'll get to another big problem he had with it when we when we get to right. that part. I feel as if the way the way that they integrated it is pretty smooth. Yeah, 
Because even because even I, given the fact that in so many of these movies we see Martha Wayne's fucking pearls hit the fucking pavement, even I, having not seen the movie for a while, was like, wait a minute, does does his origin happen at the beginning of the movie? And I was about to get, I was all geared up to write a note about it, but then they subverted my expectations, and I appreciated this movie so, so, so fucking much. No, instead we get some very dated-looking CGI. I mean, I don't even... Just that one shot of him... The one shot of a silhouette. Uh, yeah, the I, one shot of the exactly. silhouette. <laughs> it is so it distractingly like a... bad. Like, it looks like a 30s cartoon. Yeah, I yeah. think that was animated. That looked like it was animated on top of the film. Yeah, yeah. Superimposed. Yeah. But otherwise, I mean, this establishes um, how this universe interacts with Batman. They they don't really know much about him. He's almost a, a myth for criminals. And um, I kind of think that this establishes something that I appreciate about the portrayal of Batman. Is It's almost like a dramatic irony that runs throughout the movie of... How, to criminals, he's this almost superhuman, again, like, mythical figure. But you, the way that they shoot him for the audience makes it very clear that he's a human who, who's just very skilled and has a certain process. Like, I think that there's a, there's a contrast in, in the way he's diegetically presented for the criminals and the, ways, the, the way he's shown for the audience. And... Well, the opening scene doesn't necessarily um, get as much into that. That's more of a, I'd say, the Axis Chemical scene. Like I, I, I enjoy that. It's a, it's a nice establishment. Yeah, I thought it was the way he was filmed was a lot more like a slasher movie villain, or like a a thriller villain. So you're there's right. a lot more suspense and Batman being revealed. Uh, it just mm-hmm. it it's the kind of opening that kind of gets you goosebumps and also the kind of opening where I could see why a child who watched this movie would have been somewhat you know terrified because he Batman is presented as pretty scary in that regard especially in these yeah in these opening scenes um which I like because that that's supposed to be part of the ethos of Batman Criminals are a superstitious bunch, and he he intends to strike fear into their hearts. Only problem is he's also striking fear into the hearts of the audience. Which, to a certain degree, he should. Like, you... you he's a guy who, dra- who, who dresses in a bat costume. You shouldn't really trust him outright until you see... Until you see his altruism, basically. You should question this weird man in a bat costume you should be kind of scared of him because and these movies more so i think than the 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 dark knight trilogy i think get a little bit more into the psychology of how and why batman is the way he is it's a it's a through line particularly in the first three movies and then in batman and robin they just say fuck it but in these first three movies, it's, it's there's a lot psychologically happening with Batman, which I think is also uh, why I think I like it. Um, it's it's also the scene where we get our first, I'm Batman. <laughs> yeah. 
as establishing as one can get. Yeah. Uh, which would go on to be said by... I th- I want to say that everyone says I'm Batman at, at some point. I'm pretty sure I know... Fucking I said it at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> of course everyone says it. Uh, ben Affleck doesn't say it, but... Yeah, it's that... that that's, that's its um, own can of worms. <sighs> I'll say, like, this is uh, calling back a bit to the trivia section, but it seems that casting Batman in a film, or Bruce Wayne or Batman or whatever, has always been controversial with uh, with the, the fan, potential fan outcry about, um, about Michael Keaton. Yeah. Luckily, he proved them wrong. Yeah, and he's basically the definitive Batman to the point where he's going to be in the new Flash movie. It's It it just goes to show that, like, sometimes comic book fans could be wrong about things. I know. Like, and there's, there's lots of... There's lots of reassessment that is happening, I think, with the actors who have played Batman. But I think everyone mm-hmm. has landed on the, the fact that Keaton brings something very specific and different and special to the to the role that yes. makes him basically him and uh oh god oh why am i forgetting his name the voice of batman from the anime series kevin conroy yeah, keaton and kevin conroy are basically the batman they are yeah and and tangential as this is i feel like keaton being being stereotyped as far as the type of roles he chooses is something that's kind of followed him his entire career. Prior to this, like people saw him as more comedic actor and really up until Birdman, people didn't see him as like some, some like prestige dramatic actor. And now thanks to that, because of these Batman movies. And now thanks to that, like he's received a, a Renaissance to the point where he went back and did a comic book movie as a villain. And now he's going to do another comic book movie as Batman again, it's 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 yeah, it's yeah. funny how that works. And Keaton's a great actor, and he seems like a a cool guy. So, yep. Um, of course, none of the police actually believe that Batman exists, you know, or at least they're not willing to say that he exists. To Alexander Knox, played by Robert Wool, which it, he 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 is certainly a guy who was in this movie. <laughs> Is he because he, he his character just gets dropped like about halfway through the movie? Kinda. I mean, he's a character that serves a function. He he's he's a bit of a chucklehead. He he sort of brings Vicky Vale into the into the general scheme of things. There there's a a sort of ineffectual love triangle going on because he's obviously a chucklehead who's into him her, but like she's never gonna go with him. And he delivers exposition. He's kind of a, a wisecracking audience surrogate. Yeah, kind of. But I feel like he kind of, uh, given the tone of the rest of the movie, I feel like his particular brand of acting kind of stands out. It's not bad, right? It's just, it stands out against the way everybody else in the movie is acting, I feel. Right. He He's the more comedic, lighthearted element of noir, which sounds contradictory, but but isn't. Like, he, he gives yeah, there's the, always the one. sort of, like, the lingo yeah. and stuff. Uh, playing opposite him is the gravelly-voiced uh, Eckert, Lieutenant <laughs> Eckert, who we may know as, as Porkins from, from the first Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
he that character has many different forms. I know in the animated series he's Bullock. Um, right. Yes. Uh, there's all. There always. He always seems to be in the movies, but I feel like every time he shows up, he has a different name. Yeah, that's kind of the point. Like, there, there's always gonna be some guy in the police force that's being controlled by the mob. It's just standard when when you when talking about Batman. Yeah. Um. So we also in these opening scenes we get to know uh, the mayor of Gotham City, who, much like the mayor in Jaws, just can't help but have his stupid. It's like a centennial, or, or it's a two hundredth anniversary gala, which who yep. gives a shit? Like I don't fucking know how old the city I am, how old it is. It's again just just plot dressing. In addition to the to him vowing to to stop the mob with the aid of of uh, of District Attorney Harvey Dent, played. Understated, but well by by Billy D. Williams. Yeah, who wanted to come back and be Harvey Dent, and who everyone said should come back and do Harvey Dent, and then he didn't because... He eventually did, it just took about 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, 30. In a comic. Speaking of the mob, uh, central central conflict... Mm -hmm. uh, sociopathic Jack Napier is having an affair with mob boss Carl Grissom's wife. Yeah, I... <laughs> I love how you say that so matter-of-factually. I mean... Like a newsreel. Jack Nicholson, especially in this first part, is just so fucking smooth. Like, he's... He's smooth, and he's also... He really is, like, completely rotten to the core. Yeah. Like, he... he 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 treats her like an object. Yeah. Like he he doesn't she she doesn't exist to him as a as a human being. But then again, I guess the idea is that nobody else does. So. Yeah. The the only the only important person in Jack's life is fucking Jack, and he makes that abundantly clear in these scenes. There's something that is both charming and deeply fucking unsettling about him. Yeah. Um Jack has a meeting with Carl Grissom um which basically Grissom knows that Jack is banging his girlfriend and so Grissom decides he's going to set Jack up and have Jack killed. Um yeah, <laughs> that that was a horrible decision. That that is what that is what's happening. <laughs> that was a horrible decision. We, yeah, yeah. We we also have the the setup with the with him telling Jack Napier, "You're my number one guy." There's um, Jack Palance, legendary actor from Oh from Western, yes, yeah. Shane and stuff. Really, like, plays like a very hapless character, but like his time on screen is is memorable. Yeah, enough. yeah, I know because at, at this point in his career, he had basically become the king of cheese. Yeah, but he this this is right. good w cheese though. Yeah, would later go on to be uh, curly in the city slicker movies. 
movies I remember nothing about, but I uh, unfortunately he will get completely upstaged by Nicholson later on. <laughs> uh um we also this is um at Wayne Manor they're holding a charity benefit um for Gotham I, for for some there's always there's Bruce is always ho- holding a charity benefit of some fucking sort it's like the thing he does yeah i have it down as the save the festival fundraiser <laughs> are are we talking about the bicentennial festival or yeah they're they're talking about the 200th anniversary gala thing yeah because we get to we get to see alfred ha- handing out champagne we get to see Bruce Wayne trying to keep a, a low profile while being observant as hell. Yeah, let, let's talk about uh, Michael Keaton's take on Bruce Wayne. Because I always thought it was a little weird. Like, he comes off as a bit socially awkward and not quite fully aware of his surroundings. My wife was very supply- surprised that Michael Keaton was Batman. Very surprised. And and she that that like stuck in her craw for like most of the movie because she just couldn't she couldn't see I think mostly because she doesn't think he's as handsome as the other Batman, which I don't think it's fair. Michael Keaton's a good looking dude, but it could be the eighties hair and the and the sort of like angular eyebrows. Yeah, it's definitely the perm. The perm doesn't help. But 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 I think like the. The idea that he's not aware of his surroundings is more that he's just very preoccupied, and we all know what what he's preoccupied about. And and again, like he he comes off aloof, like not even introducing himself to to Vicky Vale at first. But but he's definitely like he has he has his butler to sort of like scope out the place and and uh, let him know if like anything needs to be dealt with. He plays Batman as a lot more neurotic than I think other people have played Batman, which I think it'll probably make more sense once we see Batman Returns in that regard. But this this version of Batman is a lot more neurotic and paranoid, and I don't think he is as interested in being, you know, the famous guy in as much as the only real reason that he's holding this benefit is clearly to get more information about what's going on with Carl Grissom and all that good stuff. Yeah, uh, there's one note that I'd like to make when Vicky and, and Knox are, are walking around uh, Bruce's art gallery. Um, before they sort of get into the spiel about, about the, the samurai armor or, or whatever, whatever it may be, um, they pass one costume that I think is the original DC Sandman. Like before it became the Neil Gaiman Morpheus kind of thing with the with the gas mask and such, like that was a, that was a neat touch. But like I don't think I saw any other references. Yeah, there's. Not- I missed that, but then again, I'm not too familiar with pre-Gaiman Sandman, so. Me neither. I j- the design just like sort of like pinged right there when they when they they saw it. Yeah. Um. Um. Batman. Basically, I call him Batman. I'm just going to use Batman and Bruce Wayne interchangeably. I'm sorry. I know they're Fair the play. same person, but they're also kind of not the same person. Um, Bruce Wayne walking in on uh, Knox and Vicky Vale shit-talking him, basically, was definitely a mood, I think. 
it, it also goes to show that in this universe, Batman, again, he's not interested in having a high profile to the point where even Bruce Wayne is kind of sort of a myth. Yeah, I did like that joke where Vicky's trying to is like trying to find him at his own party. She walks right up to Bruce Wayne and asks, which of these people is Bruce Wayne? <laughs> and he just, he just comes back and it was like, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I think that's partially because he's just, maybe he's just intrigued by a woman who doesn't know who he is. Cause Vicky Vale is from out of town. So maybe he's just like, Oh look, a woman who, you know, isn't, up on the intimate detail, every intimate detail that happens in my life. That's a nice change. Bruce, uh, Alfred basically gives Bruce some info, and uh, Bruce goes into uh, kind of a secret area in the mansion to review footage of the party and catches, uh, basically finds out that Jack Napier is um, going to. Uh, be at Axis Chemicals to clean it out, and Eckert, who uh, Commissioner Gordon, who we haven't mentioned that much at this point, um, Commissioner Gordon seems to know that Eckert is dirty, and so he basically has to bail on the party to make sure that you know Eckert doesn't completely and utterly fuck everything up. That's more or less what happens. Uh, Eckert's men go in guns blazing completely. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I appreciate about this scene is that you get to see Jack Napier think on his feet. Yeah. Uh, he's he's releasing steam valves. He's sort of able to sort of get himself out of the the general uh, scuffle of, of guns blazing to, to sort of try and escape with the files, at least until he runs into Batman. But but it's it's good it's good character uh characterization through action yeah there's a method to this joker's madness he's not he or at least at this point he is not completely i mean he is unhinged but he's not an idiot <laughs> like he's not just a goof he's very clearly a very intelligent person and that's part of what makes him so yeah dangerous. basically what you're saying is he's not the caesar romero joker exactly yeah. He's not a doofus. Um, I have a note here that says you really get a sense of just how restrictive this version of the costume is just based on how they basically never want to shoot it. Like, <laughs> we, there are very, very few uh, full body shots of the costume. And even the cowl is kind of weird and looks kind of way more rubbery than we would see with later versions of the cowl. I think up until uh, until Affleck's, um, Affleck's Batman is when they kind of get back to the more rubbery, weathered looking cowl. But this one, it uh, you, it's almost like you can tell this version of the costume was a was like the first draft it, it, am i reading too much into that or no, no that's valid yeah it, it really does come off like they didn't really put much forethought into uh like like they thought of how it would look mm -hmm. but they didn't think how it would function yeah and so a lot of these scenes which i think are still effective scenes but i also feel like the scenes are 
they're effective, but they're also done in a way to hide the the inconsistencies in the costume. We don't get like a real action sequence with uh, Bruce actually fighting in the costume until like a decent chunk into the movie. Um, yeah. Uh, Batman does eventually catch up with uh, Jack Napier and um, yada 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 Jack Napier um, falls into a vat of chemicals uh, even though Bruce tries to stop him from falling. Now this plot synopsis says that uh, Batman uh, lets go of Jack but I think it was pretty obvious that Batman was trying to save Jack because yeah, because at at this point, at this point, we are still kind of, sort of dealing with a Batman who doesn't kill. Yes, with the with the caveat that they don't establish that. Yeah, but I think this scene is kind of, sort of, trying to establish that. It also probably has to do with the fact that you, you that Commissioner Gordon says we want him taken alive, so Batman is probably aware, like, probably shouldn't kill him then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and given how... Given how the movie... The movie's climax was eventually... Was originally supposed to go with Batman basically being driven to want to kill Joker... I think scenes like this are meant to imply that he doesn't necessarily want to doesn't necessarily want him dead at least not at first until other things about Jack are revealed. Scene kind of just ends. <laughs> like once uh, <laughs> Jack once Jack falls into the chemicals like that that's pretty much all she wrote. Um we we then Vale Bruce Wayne did agree to meet with Vale, and we get a, a nice little cute bit of comedy editing where you see the a, a shot in reverse shot as they're awkwardly eating soup, and then it cuts to the a high angle on like how separated they are between the, this long dining room table. Yeah, that was a key in addition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that that was oh was that 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 particular yeah scene? that that particular scene was a was a key was Keaton's idea. He, that's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> that that kind of just shows you. I mean, and it also it's like a, a good contrast because then they they just go into like a, a sort of more private room and have a more intimate dinner. Yeah. Um, Alfred telling stories of his childhood to the, to the embarrassment of Bruce Wayne. Um, it at least shows that 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 they can kind of charm each other, or that Bruce Wayne is not as off putting and and aloof and and sort of eccentric i guess as he initially seems there is some warmth to him uh particularly in his at, in his um interactions with alfred you you get the sense that you know he is eccentric but he's not completely foregone i think i think that's something that gets lost in a lot of what people consider when people think of Batman, they sort of always talk about like how Batman's always alone and how he has to always he he can never have a partner and blah blah blah. But I feel like the best parts of Batman slash Bruce Wayne are the parts where he does open himself up 
to to you know being human and having human relationships with people as hard as it may be for him to do that and a lot right. of the behind the scenes stuff that i saw was all about how you know there was a there was originally going to be a cameo by dick grayson in this movie they actually cast a young actor who does not i do not think he has an imdb page he was just sort of like a a footnote basically uh, but he was going to initially be in this movie it wound up getting cut from the shooting script but basically it was done with the idea that well one because bruce in in the original detective comics uh batman goes a whole calendar year without having a sidekick before uh robin is introduced and second because they buy into the whole thing where bruce has to be alone and i really it's it's one of the things that I see now. Now we're diving into Batman history. Yeah, sorry, I, I'm going on a tangent. You can stop me. Just we see the we see the the sort of results of the Joker origin. He is, receives plastic surgery. Lord only knows what he looked like immediately out of the chemical Jesus. room. I, I appreciate the touch of the German plast the German surgeon mm-hmm. <laughs> to sort of fit with the overall expressionistic like 1920s Weimar German film kind of feel of this. Mm-hmm. He just found some random some random German expat. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, we reveal his his face, like we reveal his his compulsive laughter. It fades us from one scene to the next, which is very creepy. Yeah, it's so he's fucking awesome and creepy at the same fucking time as much as jack nicholson demanded for this look he really did he he gave it sucks like he gave it his all yeah i will say he is the best live action joker we have had like i love heath ledger's joker but that is a completely different beast than what we know of the joker in everything else like this joker is Cold, calculated, manipulative, and completely in love with himself. That is exactly what you need for this character. Yeah, he's a total narcissist. And yes. unlike unlike other Jokers, again, there's a method to his madness. He's not just interested in pure anarchy or, you know, whatever the fuck Jared Leto is doing. He's very... the the reason he does things has a purpose and has a meaning and even though he's clearly not in his right mind from the first moment he's on screen and certainly not when he becomes the Joker you kind of understand why he's doing the things he's doing even even though he's fucking unsettling he's like a monster that you he's a monster that you can get and yeah his the very next scene there there's some like sort of bruce wayne vicky vicky vale waking up saying like oh let's meet the, the next day I, i'm busy blah 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 we we go from there to to joker's uh coming out party and the rest of like the mobs the, the during a mob mm-hmm. meeting uh, this was the one of the images that stuck with me like when i saw it when I was oh where, where he's where he's trying to wear the flesh-colored makeup Oh my god! Well, that's one of them, and and in popular indie wrestler Danhausen 
once once fucking did that gimmick, and it was even creepier. But what I'm talking about is him using the the fucking shaking the uh, Antoine's hand and shocking him and essentially burning him to a oh, crisp. God, that, that pulls back to see his skeleton. That that fuck that fucked me up. That that would fuck up any child. Like it. Yeah, it's not um, fun and it's not cool. <laughs> yeah, essentially, like this is him immediately taking over mm-hmm. before before tying up the loose end of of Grissom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um he has goons. Yeah. He has goons in purple jacket with his face on it. Yep. How do you really think that a fine uh, such a fine dresser like Jack Napier doesn't have a costumer, uh, uh, a tailor, you know, on call when he needs him. Okay, I, I can understand where you got the jackets, but goons. Yeah, the, well, I mean, those are his underlings that, like, he very likely intimidated to keep under his own employ. And so it's like, yeah, of course, they'll. I mean, you look at Bob. He, Bob seems like a, a really sort of unrepentant guy, but at the same time, he's not about to question this this maniac. No. I mean, in what? You don't think you don't think the Joker has a graphic designer on, on the payroll? How else is he going to send creepy notes to Batman and weird shit to 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 the commissioner that stuff costs money you know he can't do it all himself yeah and and this uh, like plus they also like establish him as an artist of sorts so he uh, he has design ideas immediately um and and again like you said he's narcissistic mm-hmm. the biggest point of contention he has with batman is that he's taking his press yeah <laughs> this asshole what with his fucking cape and his bad ears who does he think he is um i do have a note that says that sometimes the vicky vale and bruce stuff feels surplus to requirements um yeah understanding that vicky is kind of sort of supposed to be our audience surrogate uh so another yeah, one yeah. so we can learn more i guess Knox is more the audience surrogate for batman and vicky is more the surrogate for bruce precisely yeah and and also you can kind of understand um why at least bruce takes a liking to her because we established that as a photographer she she sort of covered um she covered war she she sort of has like a lot of bravery about her she's very persistent and and inquisitive like you don't get the idea that like like Knox she she wants to just do this for her own sort of like career or whatever she she does this because she wants to sort of make a difference in whatever way that is right um we do see uh Vicky follow Bruce to crime alley and put two roses down which is still fine I'm I'm fine with that um, and then, uh, she has to call Knox for, for information about the location, which seems weird because uh, you would think people like Bruce, Bruce is this weird character in the movie. And I'm talking about Bruce Wayne, where he's like a recluse in 
people like have heard of him but also haven't heard of him and you know you would think the story of his parents would be widely known to many people but Knox has to look it up I I yeah which, yeah I yeah. hear that that is definitely for the for the purpose of expand or of fleshing out his origin story that's definitely for the audience I don't know and that feels like one of the script editions which again I I don't mind these scenes and I don't want to it to feel like I'm bagging on them because I think in the context of the movie they they work but it, it does take a little bit of a leap of logic to yeah to like those two parts are like incongruous basically yeah I mean the, this is definitely what we were talking about when we when we said that the issues are nitpicks. It's it's really things that that don't mess with engagement of the movie, but it's it's things that you could you could you could sort of see how functional they are. Um, I appreciate the parallel of of uh, Alfred confronting uh, Bruce about like like basically saying she seems like a, re- a re- she seems like a keeper. Like why don't you tell her the truth? Like you, you two could be good together. And meanwhile, Joker then starts taking an interest in in her. In a in a great scene where he he he's clipping out um, photos of 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 like whatever of news newsreel or just stuff that his his henchmen have, have picked up. You sort of pan back and see like all the various clippings. Mm-hmm. Um, we also there's also uh, one of the Prime Lords, uh, Vinny Recorso. Uh, basically holds a press conference because, you know, crime bosses always... Well, I think that was like he was being released from prison or something. But he was... No, because he was at the meeting, so he was already out of prison. So... Oh. (laughs) See, again, it's like it's little... It's just little tiny things which you wouldn't really think about. it's It's what TV Tropes calls fridge logic. Yeah. And so... Vinny holds a press conference saying that, um, well, he's holding a press conference saying that he's taking control of Grissom's businesses. Um, everyone knows Grissom's a a mob boss, but obviously the mob boss always has a front for their, uh, criminal enterprise. So Vinny says he's taking care of that, uh, at which point, uh, the Joker shows up and kills him and... With an army of mimes. Fucking creepy. Um, Throws like a, a, a fatal quill pen at, at Vinny. Yeah. Uh, Bruce also gets shot. And... Which he completely no-sells. <laughs> it, it's, it's weird. But I think... We're getting the hint that Bruce is just... He sees Jack Napier... He sees the Joker, and he he realizes that something's off. Um, we get a scene of um, Bruce getting stitched up by Alfred while um, Bruce is watching a story about Joker on the news, I believe. Um, at which, well, no, what wasn't wasn't it that they were talking about Batman and Joker is pissed? That's like. That's like after what I did, and they're talking about a flying bat. Yeah, yeah. They, they, I think they're both watching the same thing. 
because Alfred says, oh, by the way, Vicky called and said that she's going to be um, late to your date at the Gotham Museum Art. And Bruce is like, okay, yeah, sure, sure. Wait a minute. I wasn't supposed to meet Vicky tonight. <laughs> Which, again, I think it's kind of funny that Bruce is just sort of like off in his own world to the point where he'd be like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, you know. Because you would get the sense that he's made, like, dates that can't come or whatever. And then he's like, wait a wait a tick. Wait a second. There's something about this that's not wait. right. No, no. Well, yeah, like, that's him realizing that it was a setup, Yeah, that's right? him realizing that it's a setup. Uh, yeah. In the midst of this, like, does this happen after the, the whole news, the news, like, we reveal the Joker, yes? Oh, yeah, yeah, it does. Because... That that leads into Batman figuring out how that works. Well, we we see that that that's happening right, like with uh, the 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 anchor suddenly bursting into laughter, and that's the second image that stuck with me. Is like they cut to her on the ground, and she has like the the rictus grin. Uh, it's creepy as yeah. shit. It it thankfully leads to the comedic uh, the next newscast where everyone has no makeup on, <laughs> and it's the the irony of them being made up to look like they're not made up. <laughs> yeah, but I gotta say I love the commercial that Joker films just to yeah. just kind of sell his products, and I'm doing air quotes as best I can. <laughs> love that Danhausen. I mean Joker. <laughs> Um, oh, he's not smiling. He used Brand X. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good. Um, we then get um, the weird prince. We, we got to shoehorn the the prince music in here somewhere. I don't mind the prince music. It's you know why? Because music. it's fucking prince. Yeah. Yeah. Par- Party man is a is a band. Yeah. It's a. It's, it, yeah. I'm not. I have no problem with with party man or any of the music that prince made for this movie i'm just saying that it's weird it, it is, is weird, weird but it makes sense in context at yeah J- joker wears purple that is very true i did not consider that before of course of course joker would would be a fan of prince i mean he, he though Though the the thing I wonder about the scene was was it supposed to end so awkwardly with them just cutting the song off as he sits down? Yes, <laughs> I think it was. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I just this is basically um, it's like our kind of second uh, Batman having sort of a face-to-face with Joker, and then uh, we get our first big action scene um, where Batman basically uh, puts Vicky Vale into the the Batmobile, which is still, I would say, um, best Batmobile. The only one that I, I think is better is the stupidly long one from the animated series, but but, but this is that's very impractical. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> would would have a turning radius a mile long, but it <laughs> Gotham has lots of straight streets, so it, it doesn't matter that you know, 
I do appreciate how 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 the the Batmobile scene kind of made me mark out. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, he 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 brings her in the souped-up car, and then a backhoe stops him, and then then I was like, wow, he just leaves it behind. It had been years since I yeah. Seen this movie <laughs> but then they they reveal that oh, there's a shielding unit for it. Yeah. The the animatronics certainly look dated, but I mean, hey, it's I mean can't really fault them too much. And what I've wondered, why does he take her out of the car? That's what I yeah, that's what I meant. That that was that was kind of weird that he takes her out of the car and then is like got got to find a grapple point. <laughs> what, he can't just activate detective vision and and find one? There there has to be a gargoyle yeah. somewhere. Yeah, the, or or there's there might be a wall that's like painted conspicuously white that he could just put his pa- his de- detonating paste on. Yeah, I mean it... his explosive paste. <laughs> uh, uh I mean there were there were, there were reason there were ways to get around this basically. <laughs> um um, but yeah, he, he, a- here's a weird scene that my wife was like, what the fuck? Uh, he asked Vicky Vale, uh, how much do you weigh? And she's like around 98 pounds. And then some, then, you know, they fight and they fight and they fight and they fight and they fight. And then when, uh, Batman meets back up with Vicky Vale, um, he's like, huh? So you really weigh 98 pounds, huh? Like, did, did did Batman just... Time and place, Batman. Time and place. Did Batman just fat shame Vicky Vale? Who... who... And, and, I mean, fat shame, but also, like, have ridiculous standards. <laughs> like, it, it, it was one thing when he needed to know how much she weighed for, for the grapple. You know, that, that makes sense. But it, it didn't wind up mattering, so I found that... that was a bit unnecessary for the Batman. Yeah, we can't we can't say that it was a deliberate contrast from from charming Bruce Wayne to fucking negging ass Batman. <laughs> um, Vicky tries to take a bunch of photos while uh, Batman is fighting the goons, including a scene straight out of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark with the guy who does all the fucking karate. And Bruce doesn't defeat him in one hit, but it's like three hits he defeats him in. He 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 does a um, he does an Undertaker big boot and a and a Jushin Liger shote <laughs> like he compress. <laughs> Which how hard is it to do? Again, that's just heavy latex that you can't fucking see out of. It's 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 incredible that they were able to do any stunts in that. And I felt like they they did a pretty good job of showcasing that Batman is a more than skilled fighter, considering those limitations. Like he, you can understand why Batman is able to take on multiple goons because he's really really good. Like I know that's a stupid thing to say that Batman's good, but you know what I mean. We get to have the set piece filming of the drive to the Batcave and the. And like the interior of it, it's very, very good. Yeah, uh, I don't really care for the for the line about bats. They're great for survivors. Um, mainly just because it doesn't. It's not really a conversation. It's just him saying that about bats. Yeah, they're all. They also carry disease. Um, and yeah. they they poop a lot, which I feel really bad for Alfred because that <laughs> that can't be fun. Like no. it has to be Alfred. They can't just. Call in a cleaning crew. 
Um, also, why does Bruce have to pull up straight to the to the edge of of the drive with the Batmobile? Did anyone else notice that? Kinda. Also, does he drug her? He does something to her, cause cause he has to steal the camera. Which I will, I will remind you was in her cleavage, which. 1989 i know and it doesn't it doesn't matter it doesn't matter but it 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 it, it, it suggests some weird stuff of, about batman and i know that they've already slept together at this point we didn't mention that they slept together um but it it i it, that weirded me out a little bit um wouldn't have weirded me out uh when i was a kid but definitely yeah, it's it's like she can't know. Yeah, it's it, it's it's just weird. It it was a bit of a weird thing. May have given her a barbiturate. Uh, I guess the next scene is this where he wants to tell her in her apartment that he's Batman, but he struggles. And an- another bit of sort of lightly comedic acting from Michael Keaton, where he can't say it. They're interrupted, and then you have them in the room mouthing the words, I'm Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. It's the little touches, really. Um, Bruce Wayne and the Joker finally have their first face-to-face. Um, uh, Bruce Wayne, Nest Pop. <laughs> <laughs> um, Batman asks the Joker if he wants to get nuts. Uh. <laughs> There's so many lines in this movie that I forgot were from this movie. Like, where does he get all those wonderful toys? Like, I, I for yeah, there, yeah. There's so many lines that are just ingrained in a pop culture, and if you haven't seen the movie in a while, it's easy to forget. Yeah. One line that should be ingrained in the pop culture is the world's worst, the, the world's first fully functioning homicidal artist. <laughs> it's, it's it's a perfect Joker line. Um. Yeah, Joker um, shoots Bruce and then basically threatens Vicky. Um, and all of a sudden, Bruce is gone. And because he had um, a silver serving tray under his shirt, which, okay. <laughs> like, they say they want this movie to be not campy, but, like, it's, it's a, you know. Yeah, it's a little. It's a little. Certain reservations, yeah. And, and of course, the, and of course, I love the bit where he leaves Vicky a gift. She opens it, and it's just a hand that comes out with holding dead flowers, and she just passes. <laughs> out. Um, of course, after that, um, Vicky, um, goes back to the newspaper, and that's where. Knox tells her about Bruce's parents getting gunned down. And it's here that we get the flashback scene. I I feel like it's not fair to hold other movies. It's not fair to hold the fact that other movies keep doing the origin story against this movie. Because it's like, it's the first movie that's not a serial or the Adam West movie. But like... Again, Sam Hamm did not want to put this scene in the movie because he's like, everybody knows how Batman becomes fucking Batman. Like, it's 
it's not it's not extremely important that we know why bat like the exact circumstances and another yeah. huge thing that Sam Ham had a problem with was um Jack Napier being the one that kills Bruce's parents which is we we have this to thank for for the fucking 2019 Joker movie that does like a almost like a brings it back. Oh wait, no no no, he doesn't do that. He just precipitates it. Uh, that's a movie. I have different feelings about every time I uh, think about it. I have not watched it, nor do I really have any desire to. Because I think it's worth a watch, and and you may have different opinions about different things than than. It, it does a lot of things good and a lot of things bad. I can't decide right. whether I love or hate right. that movie. I mean, if nothing, yeah, if nothing else, the, the the scene, the flashback scene sets up, you ever dance with the devil in a pale moonlight, by the pale moonlight. Yeah. Um, unless he said, I don't think he said that before, but what, which do you think looks creepier? Uh, post-transformation Joker with the, with the sort of human, with the human makeup or young Jack Napier? Oh, Napier. young Jack Napier, no yeah. question. He looks like, the way they did him up to make him Jack Nicholson-esque is uncanny as shit yeah he um i mean like again the the eyebrows the 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 grin the oof. he scared he scared casting agents too much and producers yeah i mean they didn't want to work with him because they they he gave them all nightmares and traumatized them deeply i mean perfect casting so yeah uh one thing that this movie does, which may I don't know, I don't I don't know exactly like how comic book fans feel about like secret identity business, but but he does tell Vicky, and this resolves a lot of things, um, and it leads to like a line that was definitely not written by a, a a dude who's also a comic book fan when Vicky Vale says, "I've loved you since I met you." Uh, that's yeah. That's def a dude definitely wrote that line. Sam Ham, um, he also. He says, like, he'll get people coming up to him at conventions and Q&As and be like, why did you have, why did you have Alfred just let Vicky Vale into the fucking Batcave? And he's like, I did not write that part. Like, that's not, that, I didn't write that. That, that is another, uh, that is another addition that was made to the script. I think, uh... I think it was Sam Ham that said if Alfred let Vicky Vale into the Batcave in the comics, in the comics, then uh, Alfred would be no longer employed. Which, you know, yeah, kind of. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just another weird bit, another, another weird bit. And yeah, the I've loved you since I first met you thing is especially weird given the. The, where the movies go from here but yeah <laughs> yeah since this is the last movie we'll be seeing Vicky Vale in <laughs> yeah that last yeah uh, by by this time he's found out exactly what the formula of, of Joker's uh, laughing chemical is so like he's gotten that, that out of the way and like Joker needs to think of another plan and in the process of this Batman drives through uh, Axis Chemicals in the Batmobile and just blows it the fuck up. With here's the big issue with this movie: yeah. uh, Batman has no problems killing people. Well, it's interesting 
because Sam Ham, uh, we talked about obviously um, at the beginning. He sees Jack Napier fall, and Bruce tries to stop him, which kind of sort of establishes that Bruce doesn't like to kill people. And even the scenes with the Batmobile, yes, the Batmobile has machine guns, but the machine guns aren't used on the actual on any actual people. So again, um, Act One, Act Two, we're getting evidence that um, Batman does not kill. Can you guess? Um, can you guess which act Sam Ham didn't write? He didn't write the third act, did he? No, he basically had nothing to do with the third act. Which again, I'm ambivalent about this. Um... Because I, because I don't really have much relationship with the, now, with the character vis-a-vis the comics. Now, was was say, this? No, no, sorry. Go ahead. What I will say is that like, there's kind of a get-out free card because, like I said, they don't establish that he doesn't kill people, so it's not. It's like one could say, like, according to this movie, he doesn't kill this movie, but he also doesn't not kill. Mo- uh, yeah, it's. No, don't don't do that because that's the exact same excuse that Zack Snyder used for Batman killing people and Batman. Oh God, that that's even worse, yeah. and I'm going to be very sad during that movie. But did, was it John Peters or Tim Burton who wrote this act? Because I like it gets worse in Batman Returns, and I know one of the things about that movie is they gave Tim Burton way more creative control. Yeah, so basically, this third act was written by. Uh, essentially numerous uh, writers. Basically, the, the script was being written on set. Again, we have the 1988 writer strike, so even if even if they had gotten Sam Hamm to go to England to rewrite it, which they probably wouldn't, ha- wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been able to because there was a writer strike. So... Uh, yeah. Um, what I could say about the third act also is that it's two. It's one set piece after another. Yeah. Uh, it's like you. You have the bicentennial festival that Joker <laughs> hijacks, and which honestly, oh, I, I, I love like, that scene. I do for for many reasons, just as in terms of visually and and um and such. But the weird, the chaos in it almost seems to have been echoed in Batman Begins with the the with the scarecrow gas. Yeah. Like, I, I never thought that I'd see a parallel, but that I feel like they're... In a, in a smaller scale, of course. Yeah, uh, but I, I do think they kind of... They rhyme. Uh, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if Christopher <laughs> Nolan uh, took at least some inspiration for that. I don't know how much Nolan watched the original movies. I'm certain he didn't give a shit about Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Um, but, uh, again, when we get to, I don't want us to watch all the Batman movies in a row, just cause, again, I feel like the Dark Knight trilogy is kind of its own beast that should have its own, its own series to kind of sit by itself. Because I do think even though these movies wind up being written by different people and end up being directed by different people. I do think there is a through line for the character for, for the most part. So I kind of want to keep these movies separate. Um, but yeah, uh, for as far as people who did 
rewrites. Uh, Warren Skarin, who worked with Burton on Beetlejuice, did rewrites. Uh, Jonathan Jims, who worked with Burton eventually on Mars Attacks. And Charles McCown, who uh, really didn't do much. I think they were just pulling whoever they could. Mostly, I would say it was Burton and Peters kind of steering the ship at this point in in the third act. Because it does get a little bit... um, uh, the tone kind of gets weird. It, yeah, it gets a it's, bit messy in its final scenes. It's more style than substance, one could say. Yeah. Um, again, we get an awesome Prince song. I'm I'm fine with that. Trust. No. Yeah. Um, we get we get that we get the scene with, with uh, where he's in the bat plane. The one uh, thing the, that I thought it, was it's the bat wing. Excuse you. Oh, yeah, the bat it's wing? the bat okay. wing. The bat plane is something very different. <laughs> okay. Um, now who's being a nerd? <laughs> I call it the bat. But but yeah. Um, the one shot I didn't like was it superimposing the the symbol over the moon. Like I thought that that was a little bit gratuitous. <laughs> that was that that was camp. Yeah. Yeah, but. I will say, like, when he targets the Joker with his, like, Vulcan cannons... Well, no, first I, I want to talk about the balloons. <laughs> just, just, just the Joker saying, my balloons. He stole my balloons. <laughs> oh. He sounds so sad. It's like, aw, you poor homicidal maniac. <laughs> I also feel like Sam Hamm recycled this, a bit of this set piece for a scene in Monkey Bone. But he didn't write this part. Where, oh, well, maybe maybe he was so pissed off about this part <laughs> that he didn't write that he included a scene where Chris Kattan is hanging off a like giant float, and there's this big like monkey that 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 spews hallucinatory gas at people. Purple nightmare gas that is an excuse for Dave Foley to run around naked. Oh my god. Yeah, but, but the, it's it, burned it, into my mind too. Yeah, but but yeah, Joker gas, you recycled the But anyway. <laughs> um did, did the what did the Batman inside the Batwing like when he's tar- firing the Vulcan cannons like what did that remind you of? Like the targeting. Oh, Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah. <laughs> um does it I mean, not completely because you know Luke could hit the broadside of a fucking barn. That's true. That was weird. Like, was that... So, that, did that scene play out how it was supposed to? I, so, like, you have that, you have the Batmobile drive into Axis Chemicals and blow the place up with people inside because you don't... At that point, you don't really care if, if Batman kills people. But then he legitimately misses every single shot while Joker is basically inviting him to shoot him. Which again, which also kind of sort of mirrors the scene in The Dark Knight. No one had to watch these movies. Yeah. Uh, Joker then pulls out his comically oversized pistol and shoots down the bat, the bat wing, which again is... Is a little camp. It it fits for the Joker though. Yeah, it fits for the Joker. Um, it's still a little weird, but eh, whatever. There's weirder parts. It completely disables the the fucking plane. Uh, it's a bat wing. 
I know. I did that on purpose. <laughs> you fell into my trap. I had, well, I didn't have the Batwing. I, I kind of stole the Batwing from a friend. But I had that toy, so I know what it is. Um, but yeah. We, we we climax in the in that aforementioned bell tower scene, which, like, fair enough to do a, a, a reference to Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. That that movie is, if, if hoity-toity old white film critics consider Citizen Kane the number one film of all time, Vertigo's usually number two. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen Citizen Kane, and I kind of don't want to see Citizen Kane because I feel like my impression is going to be like, yeah. <laughs> you don't. If you're a film student, watch it. Mm-hmm. Like you, like I, it's not essential. I think I think it deserves the praise, but but it's cert- It's again like criticism is all about context, and like that was for its time like remarkable in terms of its visuals and and its and structure and its plot. But you don't need to see it. Like it's not, it's not appointment viewing, um, unless they do like a sequel set fifty years later, and and then we have to watch it oh, for the God show. Damn it. Um, did you know that there's a sequel to Gone with the Wind? I'd heard that. I refuse to believe it until I see it's it. It's an unofficial. It's unofficial, but it exists. Speaking of Jack Nicholson, and and sorry for referring to a Roman Polanski movie, but you know there's a sequel to Chinatown. What? I am aware of that. Yeah. the One of the worst titles ever, The Two Jakes. So anyways, uh, we climbed to the top of the bell tower for like five minutes. Um, uh, again, the scene feels kind of weird. And again, it feels kind of weird because it, it wasn't what the initial scene was supposed to be. Um, but... Uh, Again, think about how different this would be if Batman was sent into a murderous rage. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it would be better or worse. Well, he just immediately becomes like the Christian Belgian. Like Michael Keaton, some become his voice becomes more throaty, and and he just starts like terrassing, and just kicks people off the bell tower one by yeah. one. Like in three hundred. This is. Gotham! I hate it when you guys don't pop for my jokes. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, um, did this did this final scene feel anticlimactic to anyone else, or is it just me? It was a way to to end the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like they just ran out of ideas. It's like, oh, well, how do we finish the movie? I guess we kill the Joker? It's like a cacophony of, like, him laughing and making jokes and Batman advancing upon him and then grappling him and then he eventually dies and yada yada. Yeah. They they really yada yada yada. Oh, we missed my favorite part! Oh, crap. Which favorite part? When he shoots Bob. Oh, yeah, he does shoot Bob, doesn't he? Well, Bob... <laughs> Doesn't he say something along the lines of that? No, he just no, he just goes up to him and he's like, Bob, gun. He hands him the gun and he just shoots him. <laughs> he hands the gun to someone else. I'm going to need a minute, boys. <laughs> <sighs> but, yeah, the movie... Uh, the, the movie just kind of stops. Um, uh, yeah, the movie just kind of stops. Uh, and they build the bat signal, the end. Yeah, the... 
the bat signal becomes a thing, even though it's never really made clear why Gordon decides the bat signal should be a thing, given that they still don't really trust Batman that much. But Well, I don't know. He did, like, save everyone from getting gassed. Yeah, he he did do that. But I don't know. I just felt like it was weird that he has like they created the bat signal and Bruce is just like oh yeah I did that's that's totally you know I'll respond to that especially considering that he has like zero conversations with Gordon in this movie it, I don't know it's another it's more nitpicky bullshit um yeah and then the movie doesn't end it just stops with Vicky Vale uh, getting driven around by Alfred while Bruce uh, stares at the bass signal like, what the fuck is that? Um, yeah. He gave us a signal. Uh, Poor Billy D. I can't, I, again, I can't wait to talk about Tommy Lee Jones because I've not seen a fucking frame of that movie. Oh, boy. It, it's... Uh... Oh, boy. The the Batman these Batman movies have a sliding scale <laughs> of misunderstanding their villains. It starts very good with the Joker, and it's just gonna get worse and worse as we go on. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, Batman nineteen eighty nine. Despite our, <sighs> despite. Some of our, I feel like all of my criticisms of this are really fucking nitpicky and borderline cinema sensey. Maybe not, but I just, I don't like getting too pedantic over movies that I like. I kind of just want to shut the cynicism that's in my brain off. But nonetheless, this was a, a really good superhero movie. I don't think it's, it's probably one of the best superhero movies certainly one of the more influential superhero movies but i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's the best superhero movie of all time um which i think some people would try and argue um basically people like kevin smith essentially but uh how did you guys what were your uh feelings after watching batman 1989 this is an excellent movie about a furry who deals with the trauma of losing his parents by punching an insane clown. <laughs> How laconic and, and what a summation that was. Um, I I think this movie has style in spades, as I mentioned before, and has as has been said previously, German expressionism, the vastness of Gotham, the, the fact that this the general city environment looks like a matte painting but this works to its effect the more sort of brutal kind of compositions where like the 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 city hall building just towering over the characters grissom's office of um just the composition of it almost almost kubrickian um every actor performs very well in this movie whether they're functional like like jack palance or robert wool or there, you, you want to get a, a sort of psychology about him, like like Michael Keaton and, and Jack Nicholson. Um, 
like they they all bring their own their own very valuable texture to it. Like nobody nobody misses a beat, and I think it's in, among the easier watches of of comic book movies, despite certain things that one would question for for whatever reason, as we've gone over. Yeah, and yeah, I don't think I can say much more than that, other than. This is such a breath of fresh air after The Hobbit. It's just it's so easy to watch, and I wasn't upset the whole time, and my wife wasn't worried about my mental well-being watching it. Um, it's just a great movie. would definitely recommend that people watch it. Um, again, I don't think it's the best. I think there's some slight issues with it, but it, all those issues are super super fucking nitpicky so what do I know um and on that bombshell next up we will be watching the next and last Tim Burton Batman movie with Batman Returns what are your initial thoughts about Batman Returns have you seen it and you know yeah, just what your initial. I've seen are. it once. I've seen it once many, many years ago. I don't remember a ton about it, but I do remember that uh, that Christopher Walken has very bad hair. In it. <laughs> yes, I mean this wouldn't be the only movie. <laughs> to your point, I remember that Christopher Walken plays a character that has a son, a son with very few lines, but the lines that he does say are trying to do a poor imitation of his father (laughs) yeah it's been a while since i watched batman returns and i remember not knowing how i felt about it after i watched it um it's gonna be interesting going back to revisit it just because it's batman returns and batman forever are kind of like the weird middle children of this franchise because like they're not as like Batman Returns, not as good as its uh, predecessor. Uh, Batman Forever, not as bad as its successor. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, Couldn't have said it better. So, so they're kind of hard to talk about. Yeah, but we I, we will get into it. I'm sure we'll we'll have our criticisms of of the movie and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, next time is Batman Returns. Uh, don't forget to follow us on all of our social media garbage. Email us at sequelizeit at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at sequelizeit. And on Anchor, you can leave us a voice message, which I find weird, but whatever. If you want to want talk to us, that's, that's fine. <sighs> on that note, I'm KC. I'm your Foxy friend Backlash. And I'm no Chris alive. Sequelize its Mastodon on the monotone. I'm Man Bat. <laughs> <laughs> and we will see you next time on Sequelize It. Oh well.
Too late.